This week on Developer Weekly. But as I started uh, working on the film, I realized that I hadn't noticed the lack of uh, diversity. This episode is brought to you by me. If you like this show and you want to support it, please visit my courses on Pluralsight and buy my new book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is about programming, career, troubleshooting, dealing with managers, health, and much more. You can find my Pluralsight courses and the book over at www.developerweeklypodcast.com about. That is www.developerweeklypodcast.com slash about. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week, I'm talking with Sean Wildermuth about his film, Hello World. Sean has been tinkering with computers and software since he got a VIC-20 back in the early 80s. He's been a Microsoft MVP since 2003 and is now a board member of the .NET Foundation, a Pluralsight and book author, and the creator of Hello World, the film. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, uh, you know, out of your busy schedule. You know, we're all so busy these days, not being at home and stuck and <laughs> under <laughs> quarantine. Yeah, well, it's not so bad in the Netherlands, actually. We don't, we haven't had a full quarantine yet. We have these uh, smart quarantines, what they call them, which means that, you know, sometimes things are closed, like the movie theaters and the school was closed here for a bit, schools for, for children. All that stuff is open now, but, you know, it's all a bit limited. But we're, we're very lucky here because we can still go outside, which is different in different countries. It certainly is. It certainly is. We can still go outside, but I'm not sure we should. <laughs> <laughs> no, but hey, at least uh, uh, if you do go outside, you have something to celebrate now with uh, uh, with Joe Biden winning, which is a great thing for the world, I think. I hope so. You know, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see if uh, the transition is smooth. Hopefully, <laughs> by the time this goes out... Uh, um, We'll have some more news, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll start lowering our COVID numbers as well, which is I'm more concerned about than almost anything these days. Yeah. At some point, this will uh, stop, and hopefully in a couple of years, we'll just say, oh, yeah, that COVID year, that was terrible, wasn't it? But I do hope <laughs> that we don't forget about it, because humanity seems to have a very short memory about stuff like this, and then we just forget about it, and we... You know, we'll see whenever it happens again, which would be bad because we need to do things proactively so that we're ready for the next thing, whatever that is. It's interesting. I've been uh, watching some uh, uh, YouTube uh, documentaries about um, the uh, uh, 1918 and uh, um, Spanish flu mm -hmm. and how the parallels are so much the same. Uh, um, you know, people on the West Coast of the United States were fighting having to wear masks and it, <laughs> you know, the it, it just, it, I've been amazed at how much like uh, obstinance continues with <laughs> this, you know, pretty deadly disease, you know, we lost a lot, a lot of good people and, uh, you know, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. I, I can't wait uh, for 2020 to be over and then hopefully for 2021 to be better because otherwise it's no, no, no use. Yeah, I'm really but, looking uh, forward to getting back to conferences. Uh, yeah. It'd be nice to see people in, uh, you know, be able to actually stay, uh, say hi, you know, within less than six feet. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing a lot of uh, virtual conferences now? Not a lot. I did some earlier uh, in the year. Uh, I find them really difficult because I'm so used to getting feedback from the faces of people and virtual conferences, mm -hmm. it's sort of like screaming into a box. And yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I just didn't feel like I was giving it my best because uh, I couldn't get that sort of feedback to see whether people were getting it. And um, I, unlike some people, I, I'm not as tightly scripted when I do conference talks. And so I sort of um, change as I see how the audience is going. And so I think for me, it's particularly uh, painful to do the virtual conferences. I did a, a number of uh, user groups earlier this year, just like, you know, I'm home. If you have a user group somewhere in the world and you'd like me to talk, I just sort of open the doors. And so I did, I don't know, 10 or 12 um, in, in a two month span. And that was fun to talk to people from, you know, that that it would be difficult for me to get to and and uh yeah. visit just for a user group. Yeah. Yeah, that that is a uh, one of the advantages that as a user group you can now get world-class speakers like yourself for instance that would otherwise be very difficult to get in person of course. Yeah, especially you know in different corners of the world I spoke, you know, in uh, small towns in Australia and hmm. um um, I'm trying to think of the most far-flung one. I don't think Australia, the Australian one was it, but uh, all over Europe. And um, it was really nice to, you know, to hear that people are excited about programming, you know, not just in North America, because I think we get stuck thinking about Western Europe and North America as being all the programmers. Um, yeah. Under that, that foundation, that I think that's one of the challenges we have right now is, is, uh, you know, .NET seems to be, or at least the leadership seems to be so focused on North America and Western Europe. And there, there are so many developers everywhere for, you know, whether that's just Australia and the, and Southeast Asia, but also, uh, Africa and, um, the, the Middle East and all these underserved places that uh, I would love to hear what great things are being done out there. Um, because I think, I think there is stuff done, just we don't hear about it because we don't focus on trying to find these underserved communities. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. I see that also in uh, folks on Twitter and on LinkedIn and such. Lots of people uh, from all over the world, really. Definitely not only uh, in the West here. Is that maybe something that um, you can do something about from your role as uh, the board member of .NET Foundation? Well, that's our goal. Uh, um I'm the co-chair of the outreach committee. And so mm -hmm. uh, on that committee, we're trying to find uh, um, projects that would help sort of um, um, shine a light on those people, on people that are, are working the outside of what we, we think of sort of the traditional .NET world. Mm -hmm. um, not only encourage pe new people to, uh, to adopt it, but... Uh, um, I think it's important for us to uh, highlight the people that are doing great work in their own communities and uh, 
to to let people know, you know, even in those um, communities in, you know, let's say South Africa, I'm sorry, in Africa and South America, that uh, they can find each other as well to try to highlight that. And one of the things that predates my starting at the foundation, but is going really well is the um, virtual meetup. So uh, .NET Foundation facilitates uh, meetups with anywhere in the world virtually and help them find speakers and also pay the meetup fees as well as um, um, some of the hosting um, so that virtual meetups can happen. And that's been super successful. Um, the team that's put that together and has been running that has, has really helped these smaller user groups or especially these underserved user groups be able to have and hold their uh, user groups even though you know we're in the time of nobody leave their house. Yeah. Oh, that's a very that's a great thing. Does that also spawn uh, more uh, community people, like more MVPs from those areas as well? Uh, we hope. You know, one of the th uh, one of the things that uh, is important is uh, to realize that there are MVPs in a lot of these places, but the their connection is 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 difficult like there there are um, some mvps in sub-saharan africa and their mvp lead is in paris right ah, so yeah. you know there's there's this just uh difficult um disconnect this is something that uh um, jeff strauss who's my co-chair is uh working really hard he has some good contacts uh especially in in um africa uh to try to f help connect these people that um the, you know, the MVPs want to help build their communities. We want to help facilitate them in any way they can. You know, and that's one of the reasons why uh, at the DetNet Foundation, in the outreach at least, um, you can go and put out a proposal uh, just in GitHub. We're using GitHub to, to do our proposal system. And if we can help, whether that's financially or getting the word out or whatever it is, we're going to try to help as many of these uh, communities as possible. Because I think that's where a lot of this grassroots effort starts, is that if we can help yeah. facilitate, you know, you know, even local user groups as a starting point and just let it take off from there. Um, because it's, it's easy to come to it in this idea of, uh, I don't know whether in Europe you have this idea of, of sort of white savior, but it's something that happens here in the States sometimes. We don't want to come in and go, well, let our you know, top 10 MVPs speak at your user group, wouldn't that be great for you? And the reality is <laughs> we would like to have the reverse. We would like to have these great .NET people, MVPs and not MVPs, be able to speak at virtual events, you know, to user groups in, in, in Texas and in England and, in, you know, in Germany and the Netherlands uh, so that we can get more people exposed to the fact that it, it's such a, the world has become so small, especially in the development community. Yeah, yeah, that would be great to have everything uh, be uh, even more inclusive and uh, yeah, make everything just cross over to, uh, to the West as well. Yeah. That would be great. So that ties into also the movie that you've created and that's called Hello World, or is it called Hello World the Film? Uh, it's just being called Hello World. Um, it is the ah. film Hello World, but we've gone a, a back and forth. Our distributor has sort of settled in on just Hello World. Um, and how did you uh, get interested in 
creating a film or in filmmaking in in the first place? It's interesting the uh, or uh, let our listeners decide whether it's interesting. But for, to me, it was interesting. <laughs> documentary films is something that uh, I've always been drawn to. Uh, when I was in college, one of my early uh, professors got me uh, interested in film with a uh, a film called um, um, Streetwise, which is about street kids in Seattle. It was sort of my first foray into like the difference that the that through film I could experience something that was so foreign to me as a kid, and that sort of sparked my interest. And I've always been. Uh, someone who watched a lot of documentaries, at least a lot more than my wife does. <laughs> and um, so when about five years ago, I'd been sort of waxing poetic about wanting to uh, give back something to this uh, to this industry, because I feel like, you know, um, I've been really lucky in a lot of ways in this industry. I've uh, This industry has given me, you know, a livelihood, a community, you know, in some ways, you know, things like self-worth and, and confidence. And and uh, my upbringing wasn't the, the the one that makes the most sense. You know, there's a, a sense out there that, you know, I look sort of like the canonical software developer, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. it, more than once or twice, people have mentioned the comic book guy from, from The Simpsons when they refer to me, right? I mean, whether that was behind my back or, or in good fun. Um and so I sort of looked the part of a software developer. And so my original goal was to sort of do this love letter to the industry because I really feel incredibly lucky in it. But as I started uh, working on the film, I realized that I hadn't noticed the lack of uh, diversity. And while the, there was a lot of um, stuff going on at the time about the lack of women in, in software development, um, which is still a problem. Like it, uh, we talk about it a bit in the film, especially you know, since uh, the first eight software developers were all women. What sort of happened between now and then? But the yeah. other thing that really sparked me was the the lack of American uh, Black and Latinx developers. You know, when when people think about developers, we think East Asian and white guys, right? That that's kind of yeah. what you get, and um. I realized that the problem I had with it wasn't that we didn't have diversity, wasn't that we didn't have enough women or people of color or, you know, however you want to put it, was that I'd never noticed it. Like, I, I looked back and realized I'd never worked with an American woman as a software developer in 30 years. And it just wow. hadn't yeah. occurred to me. And that bothered me way more than, you know, diversity. Um, and so I sort of pivoted the film towards that. Um, uh, I was doing a uh, little montage in the movie of the interviews I had done, and it was eight white guys and me. And I was like, <laughs> oh, we, we might have a problem here. Yeah. We might have a problem here. And so uh, uh, that's what really spurred it, is is my self-discovery around it. It isn't this, it isn't a film about, oh, these, this industry is bad and why don't they treat people better? It isn't, it, it's, I'm hoping it's much more hopeful than that because I want to let people know that might not feel like they would fit in this industry, that they really can. You know, that, that, that to me is sort of the message of the film. And uh, we dive into this idea that I think is important that even if 
even if you ignore the social justice of it would be great to have more diversity in software development, that we've um, been pained by uh, the lack of diversity uh, creating um, worse software outcomes. So we yeah. have had a number of issues with, what do you mean you never tested this on um, the faces of black people? Or what do you mean you, uh, you know, tested um, um, one of my, uh, one of the more interesting ones is that airbags were originally not tested with women-sized um, um, devices. And so when they first came out, they were literally killing women because they had always tested with male-sized um, test dummies. Uh, oh wow! I didn't know that. Jeez. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the men we talked to is the chancellor of UC Davis, and he was explaining how even today, when he goes to the airport, uh, when it goes to wash his hands, he has to turn his hands over for the little light sensor to see that his hands are underneath the water because the color of his skin on the back of his hands are is darker, and <laughs> they don't notice the hands. If, if he puts his uh, hands. So clearly someone who developed that small thing that we all interact with never tested it on dark skin. I mean, yeah. how does that, how does that happen? And so, you know, the hope is not diversity just because it may be the right thing to do, but also diversity because we want better software. You know, as a software developer, I would love us to be creating better software. I want the, the right solution. And, and I think this is part of the, I think this is part of that solution. Yeah, and and that includes uh, everything, including accessibility as well. Huh? Absolutely. So software for people that can't see as well, or can't hear as well as well, mm -hmm. so that uh, screen readers and things uh, can, let's say, read your website, which is a hugely overlooked thing that I find. It it is really interesting. Uh, uh, I think it's um, I think it was Rachel Apple who was talking about this, but like we need to think about software as you know, when we think about making it accessible, we always go to deaf, dumb, uh, um, deaf, blind, and people who may have problems with like spine injury. But you know, yeah. they're developing your software, rea realizing that you know, um, at some point, everyone in our life has a period of of being disabled. You break your arm, you quickly yeah. find out how hard it is to use your phone with one hand. You, um, you know, you're in the hospital and can only, you know, uh, use your laptop while laying down. You're going to find immediately how difficult that is. Like the, we need to think about accessibility as more than just uh, a checkbox that we need to uh, tick off because, uh, you know, it's in our spec. We need to think about it as we want, you know, just to be open to everybody and whether that's making uh, your website's accessible to screen readers. That's really only the the the, the tip of the iceberg. You know, if if you're not doing that, then you, you're missing um, um, you're just missing a, a whole world. Other than that, um, I actually have a, had a interview. I was doing this series called The Maintainers recently on my YouTube channel with people that maintain open source projects, and one of them mm. was someone who's done a lot of work with. Uh, um, uh, A11Y, which is uh, the an, an accessibility open source project to help people um, add accessibility to their projects as well as um, um, doing checks for accessibility. And uh, um, that was a bit of a eye-opening for me because there were a bunch of things that I hadn't even thought about with accessibility that, you know, are just 
super common and you know certainly i've been i've been guilty of 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 ignoring it at the same time yeah it's a difficult problem as well it but, is uh, especially when you're not surrounded by a diverse community it is very easy to overlook absolutely so what was it like to create a film you know it, it sounds like uh, a lot of work well i've been working on it for five years it took about four years to finish the film and it's taken about a year to distribute it so it's a much longer process than i expected <laughs> i'll wow. tell you that yeah. um but it, interestingly i think there's a lot of parallels with software development because uh one of the things in making the film that was important me, for me to learn and i really had to learn this was that i wasn't going to be good at everything like yeah. uh recording sound figuring out stories interviewing people uh, finding the story in the footage, all of that, um, I could try to be sort of this one-man band. And this happens in software all the time, where people are like, if, you know, if I just did everything, you know, full-stack development is, is rife in this. You're not necessarily going to be great at every skill. And so for me, it was uh, uh, sort of coming down, like, I need a team. I can't do this all myself. You know, yeah. I'm not... I'm not the best in it. And it was iterative because one of the things that uh, happens in software sort of prepared me for this. And that is that um, you go out and shoot a film, you shoot a bunch of interviews, and then you have to sort of from the pile of stuff you have, you have to find the story. And so there was this, oh, we think we know what the story is. We start cutting it together and they're like, oh, you know what? We're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to you know, just like after a two-week sprint in software, this isn't working, <laughs> let's do this. And let's be, be open to change. Uh, when I did the pivot to change from sort of the love letter to what the movie is now, um, I did it very, uh, with a lot of resistance. Like, uh, yeah. luckily I had an editor who was like, um, I think you're missing what the story is here. Like, I didn't want to be in the film. I wanted to just do the film and, you know, be part of that sort of creation process and, and uh, my editor luckily said, you know, the only thing that holds this movie together, and hopefully people that watch it will agree, is the story, is my story of like, that I didn't notice that it was a problem. And so we ended up using my story as sort of the spine to tell this story about um, diversity in software over the years and how education is trying to improve it and how it's open to other people. It, it, it becomes this thing of like humility, like don't don't get stuck in your own thoughts. You thought when you wrote and designed this system that it was going to look this way, and then your user said, "You know what? That doesn't really work for us." And you're like, "But I put all <laughs> this time, so this is what we're going to build. This is what we're going to build." Businesses do this all the time of being so attached to uh, the thing they want to build, they forget that they have to adjust to what customers really need. Um, yeah. And and the film was a big exercise in that, in just let's do it and let's, you know, persevere through it. And it's, sometimes it's hard to see progress on a day-to-day -day basis, but over time you can, um, you know, create these things that are really, really beneficial. Um, it was also, I needed, I always need to learn something new. And so learning how editing software worked and learning how, uh, just the intricacies of like what is important in film, what I see as a as a viewer of a documentary, 
once I started sort of digging into it, I was like, oh, that is true. You know, sometimes filmmakers get stuck in this idea of getting the right shot and picture and everything's beautiful. And, yeah. um, but they uh, tend to forget to uh, make sure that they have great sound. And one of the things I learned through the process was people will put up with a lack of, of great uh, images. You know, if you have grainy footage or whatever the case, if you have great sound, but the reverse isn't true. You know, uh-huh. our, um, uh, people, you know, they hear and they're like, well, I can't hear it or it's scratchy or it's muffled. They'll just turn it off. Like uh, it's, yeah. it's so interesting yeah. how much audio is almost more important than, than video in, in most films we make. Yeah. It's uh, it's the same for this podcast as well. And I think in podcast in, in general as well. If I listen to a podcast and the audio is subpar, I tend to just turn it off. Yeah. So it ends know, up being I, so important. Yeah, yeah, because it's, I don't know why that is exactly. I think it might be just a very, let's say, resource intensive for our brains to try and listen to it and make out what it actually says instead of uh, when you see a grainy picture, like you said, it might not matter so much. Yeah, I think uh, we certainly don't use as much of our brain for listening as we do for watching. And so it may just be that the bar has to be higher. Yeah, yeah, maybe. So how did you uh, finance the film? Because I can imagine <laughs> that it's very costly where you have multiple people. You already mentioned an editor. I can yeah. imagine that there's folks filming. You need equipment. You might need to travel to places. How did oh. you do that? So uh, we had a crowdfunding. We actually did a couple of crowdfunding rounds, um, but we really uh, had one really successful one. Um, and that helped us um, um, book the the rest of the interviews um, uh, a lot of that was done uh, also through conferences. So I would go to a conference and then in that town, I would um, find some different people that I was uh, um, could interview. And that's why, you know, we have, we have interviews uh, in lots and lots of different places. We have uh, pe- people from Holland and Belgium and Switzerland and Ireland and as well as the United States and Canada. Um, and a lot of that, you know, I was really lucky in that I was doing a, movie about software developers and I was also doing conferences with software developers. So um, um, there have been uh, great conferences that have helped me out by uh, helping me find space at the conference to do recordings like uh, uh, Techarama was super helpful in um, in, when they they did one of their Belgium events and we just had this room over uh, under one of the theaters to do some of the recordings. and then when it came to financing the rest of the film, we uh, went through a, a long effort of trying to finance the film through different avenues, finding you know um, early distribution. We also talked to uh, a lot of companies that I thought might want to be attached to a film about this. But of course, as a f- first-time filmmaker, that's difficult. And so yeah. I had a long, difficult conversation with my wife, and uh, we decided this was important enough to us to spend um, a decent amount of our own money finishing the film. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of, uh, uh, I've got a lot of investment in this. And the fact is, uh, documentary films never make money. That's never their purpose. So, you know, this isn't, thankfully, I, I, uh, uh, I'm very lucky with my Pluralsight courses and 
the clients I have, that I was able to, you know, find the money to, to finish the film, work with some really great people. We, we found a really good woman who wrote the soundtrack, or her and her team wrote the soundtrack to the film, uh, because that became pretty important. And then our editor yeah. was just phenomenal, and, and he knew that, you know, he sort of knew that uh, we, we would pay him as we could, and and uh, he was someone locally here in Atlanta that I found so we could work really closely together. And, and so uh, I'm really happy with the result, you know. Uh, I feel like I've become somewhat capable in some of these things like uh, editing a video now. I feel so much more <laughs> confident than I did before, but I'm still not an editor like that. I could never do that as a as a job they have some magic thing in their brain that i'm missing <laughs> yeah i do it on a very small scale for uh, my plural site courses and that's just with camtasia and it's difficult enough <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's amazing that uh well all the linear sort of editing i do for plural site would be you know when i look at it and then i look at the timelines that i'm creating for the film and i'm like oh my i had no <laughs> idea what i was getting into <laughs> yeah. So where can people see the film? So the film releases on December 15th um, in the United States and North America. And we're right now trying, um, we're working with, uh, or we have proposals out to a couple of companies to expand that to, uh, um, to the rest of the world. Uh, so Gravitas International, which is a distributor here in the U.S., uh, acquired North American rights. And uh, so it'll be out on um, video on demand. So iTunes, Amazon, and everything else, Xbox, um, uh, the Google store. Uh, it'll be uh, out on all those on December 15th. Uh, un unluckily, it won't be available in, in Europe for some of your readers uh, or listeners. Readers, that's funny. <laughs> uh, listeners, uh, uh, probably until late first quarter. Uh, we're hoping to have it done pretty quickly, but... Um, It'll probably be closer to March or April before it'll be available in Europe. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, at least uh, my U.S. listeners can then uh, watch it from uh, December the 15th. It be very exciting. And they can see more about the film at helloworldfilm.com. And it's just like a sound, H-E-L-L-O-W-O-R-L-D-F-I-L-M.com. Um, and uh, for updates, you can sign up to the newsletter there. You can watch the trailer. Um, and if you want to follow the film at, at Hello World Film uh, on Twitter, feel free. I don't use Facebook products, so I'm not on Instagram or Facebook. But uh, as most people know, uh, you can always find me on Twitter. <laughs> Excellent. All right. And then uh, a last question. Will there be a sequel? There won't be a sequel, but I'm already... Uh, um, I've already planned and am now raising funds for the next movie, which won't be about software, unfortunately. But uh, it'll be um, about uh, uh, a tougher subject, um, um, talking about uh, um, men recovering from uh, childhood abuse. Um, so you know, I decided to take the light, you know, the light uh, movie after this heavy movie about uh, <laughs> diversity uh, on. So. Uh, um, Hopefully that one won't take quite five years. Uh, if COVID ever lifts, we'll be able to actually start shooting next year. And then hopefully, you know, with by 2022 have the film out, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. 
Awesome. Well, I'll put uh, everything in the show notes where people can find the film, of course. Awesome. And where they can find you and your plural site courses as well. And also your podcast. You have the Hello World podcast as well. Huh? I do, though it's not an ongoing concern, but there's 90 plus episodes. We uh, the, It sort of uh, germinated the idea for the film because the Hello World podcast was people telling the stories of how they got started. So we 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 have I think ninety one episodes. There were supposed to be a hundred, but I've gotten I made a film instead, and uh, <laughs> uh, we might finish it uh, up to a hundred soon. Uh, now that the film is coming out, but uh, uh, if you're curious about some of your favorite people, Scott Hanselman and ninety other people, <laughs> that suddenly <laughs> my brain is is uh, uh, freezing with with all the great people we got. We have some really. Yeah. In- interesting people that tell the story about how they got started and it's it, i thought it would be all the same story you know i grew up got a computer when i was a, a kid because uh, my my friend got a computer it was like this is what i would do and and i thought most of the stories would be like that but there's some very interesting you know people that were in medical school and decided to become a software developer instead and yeah, one of my favorites is there was a, a fighter pilot in uh, the U.S. military who needed to learn, needed to plan um, uh, some training missions and decided to learn DirectX so he could plot out these training missions and realized he loved doing software instead. So uh, there's some very interesting you know, ways you start it. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Okay. So all of that stuff will be in the show notes. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time. Hopefully your uh, listeners will have gotten something out of it. Yeah, I hope so too. And hopefully everybody goes and sees the film as well. So this was another episode of Developer Weekly. Check in with us next week for another episode. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much. <laughs>